Um, today, I have the pleasure of introducing uh, Pastor Mike, who will be speaking. And you've got your headset on? You're good? Ready okay, go. all right. Let's give him a round of applause. You get an extra dose of me this morning. Yay. Woo. The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. This was part of the prophet Jeremiah's State of the Union address to the people of Israel. And on this Labor Day weekend, 2023, we might be feeling a similar sentiment. Indeed, the harvest is past and the summer is nearly ended. Those peak days of fresh watermelon slices and juicy peaches are behind us. And from this point forward, it is an unending barrage of apples and pumpkins <laughs> and all of the things that you can make with them and some of the things that you shouldn't be making with them. But I have to give my own confession here. I've been looking forward to this time. I think my family is a little tired of me saying that. Uh, since those earliest days of the summer of putting on sunscreen and being roasted on the beach, I find out that I am much more of a fall guy. I'm not much for the summer. My tan line can attest to this. I like cooler temperatures and layered clothing and, and football and pumpkin spice lattes. And I confess that I was one of those who had been longing for that first sight or scent of pumpkin spice <laughs> for the longest time. And yes, I shamefully admit that I, I lined up and purchased the first of many pumpkin spice lattes at Starbucks the first time it came out this week, the very first day, more than a full two months before Halloween. It's very shameful, very shameful. And we know that once that first sight of pumpkin spice products hit the shelf, it really just saturates all of life. Pumpkin spice Oreos, pumpkin spice beer, Pumpkin spice Pringle chips, even pumpkin spice trash bags, if that's your thing. And it comes like an orange tidal wave onto our, our sandy shores. And just about every store you walk by these days is amplifying that prophetic cry, the harvest is past and the summer is indeed ended. For those like myself, it might be a thing to celebrate. Yet the prophet Jeremiah wasn't rejoicing with this announcement when he made it. And maybe some of us here can sympathize. If I didn't tell you these were the lamentations of the grieving prophet, you might assume that this was the latest New York Times headline. What a summer it has been, has it not? Hurricane Idalia dealt the first major devastating blow of the hurricane season just this week wreaking havoc on the southeast United States. And idyllic, peaceful destinations like British Columbia and Maui, of all places, were recently ravaged by wildfires, which ex experts assert was part of global warming and due to global warming. And the fentanyl crisis continues to rage on, threatening our youth at unprecedented levels. And not the least of which, we saw for the first time a president charged with criminal activity as Trump and 18 other co-conspirators are to be arraigned tomorrow as part of the Georgia election case. Hurricanes and politician mugshots and Hawaii on fire. Oh my. 
As the summer speeds to its end, we along with the prophet might too be grieving and we are not saved. So what do we do when the world is on fire and sometimes and in some places literally? How do we move forward into a new season when we are paralyzed by the present? And this morning and the few minutes that I have with you, I want to share just a few things. Starting with this. First, I think we do what Jeremiah did. And that is we recommit ourselves to the work of justice. That is we shift our focus to the other. The harvest is always ripe for doing justice. The opportunity is always in season to raise up the marginalized and the oppressed and to call out the oppressors and our systems of oppression. Listen to the way the prophet lays out the call of God in Jeremiah chapter 22. Act with justice and righteousness and deliver from the hand of the oppressor anyone who has been robbed. And do no wrong or violence to the alien, the orphan, and the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place. And then Jeremiah goes on to actually challenge the king of Judah, which was one of Israel's kings. He says, Woe to him who builds his house by unrighteousness and his upper rooms by injustice, who makes his neighbors work for nothing and does not give them their wages. Are you a king because you compete in cedar? Did not your father eat and drink and do right justice and righteousness? Then it was well with him. He judged the cause of the poor and the needy. Then it was well. It is not this to know me, says the Lord. But your eyes and your heart are only on your dishonest gain for shedding innocent blood and for practicing oppression and violence. Did you catch what Jeremiah says here? He says that doing justice and taking on the cause of the needy is to know God. So you might be wondering this morning, how do I know God more? According to the prophet, pursue justice for the other. And when we seek the life and liberation of the marginalized, we aren't just doing a God thing. We are manifesting God in the very act. And I think this challenges our notion of a personalized, individualized spirituality. And we know this, sometimes changes in our outlook as we decenter ourselves and we set our focus on those around us. So I think as we turn this next season, if we find ourselves paralyzed by the present, take Jeremiah's advice. Seek out the motive of your eyes and your heart and ask for whose gain are they seeking? The season is always right and ripe for the work of justice. Another thing we learn from the prophet is to practice solidarity. And scientists will remind us that we are all connected to each other biologically. And at an atomic and a chemical level, we are even connected to the earth and the wider universe. So solidarity, I find, is embodying that connectedness. It is putting flesh on a universal truth that you and I and the earth are connected to one another. You see, Jeremiah was the weeping prophet not because of his disconnection to God, but because of his own people's disconnection to God. And he could have merely tweeted out 
his condemnations from a distance. He could have separated himself and saved face from the people of Israel. The, pro- the, the, the harvest has passed, the summer is ended, and you are not saved. But no, he says, we are not saved. He knew the power of the collective we. Jeremiah understood that their problems are also my problems, and their griefs are also my griefs. Jeremiah knew there could be no real joy when the community is grieving, and so he takes it on as if it's his own. He says in chapter 8, My joy is gone, grief is upon me, my heart is sick. For the brokenness of the daughter of my people, I am broken. I mourn, and horror has seized me. Their grief becomes his grief. So when life gets a little myopic, with the emphasis on my, I think it's helpful to practice solidarity because undoubtedly those around us are also carrying big feelings and immense weight. And I find that when we carry that together, there can be healing for both. So when navigating life's in-between seasons, we can recommit ourselves to the work of justice. We can practice solidarity with one another and another thing we can do is step into invitations some scholars say that jeremiah's lamentation is actually a popular saying in the day to speak of a lost opportunity you see life depended on the summer harvest and in jeremiah's day there were two harvests one in early summer which was the grain harvest and one in the later part of the summer which is the fruit and vegetable harvest And in order for people to prosper and thrive, both harvests have to be successful and abundant. And should either of these fall, they could face starvation or maybe even worse. So having this successful harvest was an opportunity to set up the community to thrive in the harsher months that were ahead. The harvest was an invitation. And the prophet, the prophet used this metaphor of a summer harvest by saying you had an opportunity, you had an invitation to step into life, but you spoiled it away and now you find yourself in a dire situation. I was sharing this week with those in the book study on Wednesday night about my image of God these days. That is how I picture God or conceive of God in my mind, for we know that the way that we think about God also helps us understand the way we believe God relates to us, and we are talking about our image of God. And now growing up, maybe like many of you, that image was, you know, the classic European art, old man with the long white beard. We all know that image, and some may be thinking about a fatherly figure, But these days, I sense the divine presence in my life as invitation. That is, the very essence of the divine is inviting us and laying out opportunities toward liberation and life. And I believe that's not just what God does, invite, it is who God is. And so when we say yes to those invitations or yes to God, We help to manifest the purposes of God in the world. We might say it this way, we help 
the world look more divine every time we say yes. But the opposite must also be true. When we are too busy to notice those opportunities or we squander them away when they come along. And no doubt this is what St. Teresa of Avila was thinking when she wrote that famous line, Christ has no body on earth. Christ has no body on earth but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. You see, God is revealed to us as invitation and it is how God gets things done, if you will. And I find it to be beautifully collaborative as it is intimate. I think about so many stories in the Bible that show us not a detached God sitting on high exacting the divine will, but one who comes near in close and intimate ways. After all, it was, it was God who interrupts Moses on the mountain in the fiery bush, an invitation for Moses to say yes, which eventually led to the liberation of the Hebrew people. And we read in other places of the divine negotiating contracts with people and exhibiting passion and desire in the Song of Songs, crying out in the wilderness, speaking as a whisper in the mountain and singing over her beloved in the book of Zephaniah and wrestling with the prophets as God did with Jacob. This is an intimate God, one who shares the work of creation with people. I think this profoundly answers that age-old question of does God need us with a resounding yes, yes. Rarely do we ever see the bigger picture in front of us. And Moses couldn't have known what was about to unfold, especially as one that had a problem with speech but yet was invited to be the very mouthpiece of God. But anything significant begins with an invitation to say yes. So may our prayer be, God, give us eyes to see where you are inviting us. We can recommit to the work of justice. We can show up and practice solidarity. We can step into invitations that are laid out in front of us. And lastly, I want to just pause and say being human is hard. Even more, being one that is working toward goodness in the world. So when the world feels like it is on fire, be kind to yourself and prioritize rest and self-care. This Labor Day holiday should be a reminder to us to celebrate our opportunity for work, but it should also be a chance to reclaim that it holds no power over us. Tricia Hersey, who wrote the New York Times bestselling book, Rest is Resistance, says this. I think it's profound. Our worth does not reside in how much we produce, especially not for a system that exploits and dehumanizes us. Rest in its simplest form becomes an act of resistance and a reclaiming of power because it asserts our most basic humanity. We are enough. The systems cannot have us. So our work, what we do, does not determine our worth, who we are. I like how Jeremiah pictures this in chapter 17. Blessed are those who trust in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. 
They shall be like a tree planted by water, sending out its roots by the stream. It shall not fear when heat comes, and its leaves shall stay green. In the year of drought, it is not anxious, and it does not cease to bear fruit. That image I like of a tree bearing its roots down deep in the soil It is this way of reclaiming of where we will draw our sense of worth. Deep roots in the right soil nourish us and they prepare us for those seasons when heat and drought bear down on us, when when those systems try to stake their claim on us. So our rest can be our resistance. Be kind to yourself. Self-care, I find, prepares us with this ability to be present and sturdy in the moment. And when we're fully present, we can ready ourselves to step into invitations, no matter how small, and say yes to the opportunities. So this weekend marks the unofficial end of the summer. That may be good or bad news for you. Some of you may be feeling like you are falling headlong into a new season with your strength sapped. Some of that may be from what you've gone through these past few months. Some of it may just being overwhelmed by what may be ahead of you. And I find that it's helpful to keep it simple, to take care of yourself, to step into invitations no matter how small they come, to turn your attention to others through solidarity and the work of justice. And maybe most important of all, while you're at it, enjoy some pumpkin spice, if you can. Let's say a word of prayer together. Gracious God, remind us to root ourselves in you. And when it may seem that all around is lost, be our vision to see possibility and opportunity. Fit us with this awareness to hear your invitations. And when it seems hard to sense where you are, may we turn to others in solidarity and justice and love, certain that we'll find you there. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.